0: Hello? Hello? <clears throat> Podcast Network Asia.
1: Take note. You don't solve people. You solve problems. My name is Vanson So. Uh, I currently work with Canva as its country HR head. I'm here to define what this role is all about.
0: Choosing careers seems to be a constant. To make it more confusing, we refer to job descriptions we find online, mostly vague, sometimes unrealistic. We are here to answer questions and debunk job descriptions by interviewing professionals so we can put an end to our career search. This is Job Defined. Thanks Baban again for uh, being with uh, us right now. This is Job Defined. And we'll be focusing on three questions, or three segments, uh, which is Discovery, Debunking, and Defining. Hmm. Maybe we can do a quick introduction about yourself, Baban, So, or Alvanson. For everyone's (laughs) reference, um, Alvanson is his real name, and his nickname is Baban. (laughs) Do people in Canva know you're Baban, or just Alvanson? No,
1: no, I think... Ah, I think that nickname was uh, ramped down when I graduated from Binild from college, and then when I went to work, it's basically just Vanson for for short. Uh, all right. Um, yeah. So first of all, thanks, Pat, for um, for the invitation. Really, really keen to see how far and how much impact this advocacy of yours would make in this world. Um, so for everybody listening, my name is Vanson. Uh, I've been in HR a little over than 10 years uh, but I didn't start off in this field. I took a different degree back in school. I took a computer science degree ironically in my first degree but eventually shifted and retake college uh, under the human resources degree in Benilde which, which is where I met Pat. No? Uh, currently I function as the head of HR for Canva Manila, one of Sydney's emerging unicorn uh, startups, uh, which is basically empowering the world to design through our platform. My role and responsibility uh, in Canva is to oversee the people team, which is responsible for the entire employee lifecycle and the employee experience. But at the same time, I also push forward a lot of culture and organization development initiatives to keep and maintain a good brand reputation in the employer space and keep Canva as an employer of choice. Yeah.
0: All right. Thanks for that quick intro. Actually, I'm a big fan of Canva. Uh, I I think I've mentioned this to you since uh, 2014. I've been Mm -hmm. using it and uh, it really helped me in terms of our creating our job ads. So I I think I was one of the few people who were using it back in 2014 here in the Philippines, and I was uh, ever since I've been a big fan. And up to this day, we still use Canva. I use Canva not just for job ads anymore, but also for some social media posts as well.
1: Yeah, cool. Glad to hear that. All right. So let's
0: uh, start off with this question, Uh, Vanson, Hmm. uh, what uh, what was your childhood dream?
1: I initially wanted to be an architect at the beginning because I during my tender years I I was fond of drawing and painting and my parents saw that I have this artistic side in me and really supported me by you know giving me art classes during summer you know or attending some you know art workshops um, during long breaks Um, but eventually you know that dream changed over time uh, as technology creeped in, I would say, in junior teenager years. And then I wanted to be a computer science or a programmer at the height where the market was shifting towards nursing. You know, that was the, the economic boom at that time. In hindsight, the other side of the coin was there was an emerging need for IT. For IT professionals. And since I'm not, I was squeamish uh, when I see blood, so so I go to the other side and you know, took a course. This is why I landed on uh, a computer science background uh, at the beginning. Hmm.
0: Yeah. So uh, I'm just curious, uh, what made you shift, by the way, from computer science to human resource?
1: Ah, okay, interesting. So, you know, when you're a child or when you're not yet uh well-versed on how your actual dream profession actually plays out you tend to see or find yourself torn between you want to pursue what you thought you love or you want to pursue what you now think you love All Right. so um i started working as a instructional systems developer uh that is, what, that is my specialization back in la salle so I'm also a frustrated teacher, by the way. So I wanted to teach. I want to contribute back to the academe. Um, but um, basically, in the Chinese community where I belong to, teaching is not a lucrative job in the eyes of you know our uh, grandfathers and uh, parents. So they, they, they encouraged me to look for, an, for a different profession. And yet, that was still an underlying principle I wanted to fulfill. So I tried to find ways to get my teaching fix. Without going into education, so I went through the, the sort of the course offerings of of Lasalle at the beginnings. So I wanted to go back to where I used to study, uh, and then I saw psychology. Although I said, "Hmm, not my thing." I really not want to be a doctor or a lawyer. So I looked for another application of training, and I saw human resources. So when I looked at the program, what really caught my attention was the learning and development side of of HR. So when I saw that, I said, well, I think I'll give this a shot. I enrolled uh, in October in October in Benil, and I started studying by December. So then every, and the rest was history.
0: Oh, wow. So that's, a, that's quite a journey there. Mm. So how did you end up with your current job right now?
1: Well, where I am now is a, I would say it's a labor of love. <laughs> uh, I understand, Pat, you have a passion for recruitment since you started a firm uh, solely driven by the, recru- the craft of recruiting people. So my journey started the same way. My first dibs into the human resource field was to join a headhunter. Right? A headhunter from a local family, I would, family-driven uh, headhunting company in Makati. Um, I was hired as a sourcing associate. I think for most of the listeners here, that would be the like the grassroots role in in headhunting. So my everyday was to swim in job street, swim in LinkedIn, look for candidates, speak to them, pitch to them the jobs of the clients that we have on our roster. Uh, And then, and if anyone comes uh, that meets the standards, I would recommend them to be interviewed by my senior, which are typically recruitment consultants. So I actually don't do interviews when i started i was just doing phone screening um that career was friendly to me i would say uh, i rose up the ranks into a senior recruitment consultant in the field um i think it was, it was a auspicious time where uh technical recruitment during 2010 uh, during 2010 was still in its infancy stage so um, I had the edge because I had a computer science degree back in school, so I can speak the language of software engineers, which I recruit. So, you know, they can't drown me on IT jargons because I know what they're talking about. Uh, so, that help uh, gave me an advantage. I was able to, you know, push people into IT companies with the right fit, with the right skill sets, uh, which resulted to several promotions within a very short period of time. Um, but what really was the uh, inflection point in my career was when one of my clients in that headhunting firm wanted to sort of poach me or pirate me into their firm. Of course, in any client-customer relationship, there's a non-compete cost. So it's, it wasn't easy for me to move. You know? So I had to find a job in the interim to expire that non-compete cost before I can move. And th- that, once again, was a stroke of good luck. Uh, I found a company that was a BPO. It was a BPO company wanting to venture into the, R- into the RPO space. So basically, they were hiring call center agents, inbound, outbound, sales, technical support. And then they, they're, they're reskilling them into phone screeners for the US market. Um, given that their clients are mostly IT or technical, uh, i applied for a technical trainer a technical recruitment trainer post uh, and i got the job for a project contract of a year which is the length of my non-compete loss <laughs> uh, i went there with no lnd background just from school like what i learned from uh, training needs analysis, skill gap analysis, and all that. Textbook really bring that into the office. Um, and I looked at you know current skill sets of uh, call center agents. So they're really good with language, they're good with negotiation, but they just can't read job descriptions properly or they can't screen resumes quickly. So that that was the skill that we isolated, and then we created an instruction program for them. Which I think is useful because I came from an instructional systems technology degree back in LaSalle. So it was like the world was falling on, on, on the right pieces no? in my puzzle called life. <laughs> so I, I went there, uh, for, spent for a year, developed trainings that they still use today. I still have friends within that company and they tell me that they're still building up on that platform. So that was my first dibs on LND. And then when that one year uh, went by, eventually I moved to my my client, the client I had in the headhunter. But ironically, Pat, when I got there, the job I was offered was already filled. Oh wow! Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they waited for me for a year, right, for that non for that non compete cost to expire. So in that one year, they were able to find someone to fill my seat, which is the recruitment lead you know, for for that team. So I came in. Uh, basically, they honored the job, even if I had no formal position. So I came in, and they just gave me you know a quick two week onboarding, just to get to know what the company was. Uh, this company was Nokia. Uh, is the longest stint I had in my career. Spent there, spent almost seven and a half years yeah. in that company in total. So it's 75% of my 10-year career so far. Uh, so I came there with no formal job, but basically my boss at the time, the country HR at the time, was also figuring out what gaps that needs filling uh, and immediately from the get-go, we found out that my onboarding plan wasn't the ideal onboarding program a company like Nokia should have. So we reverse engineered and did a deconstruction of how the onboarding process looked like. And we found out that there has to be a more robust onboarding experience for employees. And that was my first project. So from day zero all the way to day 30... Of an employee, we plan out what happens on 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 that employee, from being onboarded on you know company policies and programs and culture and values, all the way to specialty onboarding, which is the team that they're going to belong to. Uh, some handholding and coaching mechanisms put in place to make sure we handhold the person and give the new employee the highest chance of success.
0: Vanson, if I may cut, no. Mm. It seems like your course in, uh, what was that in uh, LaSalle? Yeah, uh, computer science. Computer it really... science. It seems like it wasn't in vain.
1: Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't.
0: Yeah. It seems like it played to your advantage uh, with your first two jo- or first three jobs. And I think before we go to, uh, to your current job right now, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, uh, you spent computer science, uh, Your that was your first degree and it played to your advantage. What? Uh, how were you able to... Can you further expound on how you were able to use that?
1: Yeah, sure. So number one caveat, these decisions that were made during my college years was not curated to result to present day. I I, I I didn't know technical recruitment was a thing when I was taking computer science, right? But I think what was crucial, I guess, in being able to reuse previous education was to think of a role where you think you can apply it like so when i applied for the headhunting job it was a technical recruitment role so when i saw the job description that you know i'm going to talk to software engineers java developers c plus plus dot net i said hmm like if these are the people i'm going to look for basically i'm looking for more of me right and i'm just going to bring in my hr background but you know you and i both know Back when we were taking the course in Benil, they never really taught us how to do recruitment, right? They taught us the principle of um, of uh, attraction of talent, but not actually the skill of how to talk and negotiate, right? So those are the things I had to learn from from the ground up, thanks to my mentors and buddies at the time. So, but basically, the education was transposable because I chose a role that gave me the opportunity to use them. So, if, for example, if I took a role in executive let's say executive headhunting, right, I would talk to C-level folks. Definitely, that computer science degree wouldn't have been as useful as compared if I applied for a technical recruitment role. Hmm.
0: It seems like I'm not even talking to an HR right now. You sound like someone who, who's, uh, who's a computer science uh, professional, the way you're speaking as well. Now, let's go back to your uh, second uh, job, or 75% of your job, which is Nokia. Oh.
1: Yeah. So so going back, so I was doing onboarding. And then eventually the company ramped up. They decided to grow from 350 employees, I think, to almost 800 to double. That was, was the advent of LTE 4G technology. So there, the recruitment lead at the time needed help. Uh, so I was redirected to help the ramp up initiative. So I took off my L&D hat and wore my recruitment hat once again. So we were we were hiring and through the hiring process, it really, I would say, gave me a glimpse of all the other com- subcomponents of HR. I got a taste on Comp and Ben because we were hiring a lot. We had to make sure, you know, internal equity was was preserved. We were reevaluating salary ranges to make sure we were competitive. We were also reevaluating the speed in which people get promoted through the ranks, because as there's a fresh funnel, a fresh push of uh, new talents. So the senior folks who already joined the company have to move up in their respective ranks. So that gave me also my first taste of talent management, not just talent attraction, but talent management
0: oh wow can can I I'm mm. I actually curious with that one so you mentioned that you're evaluating the speed of promotion versus the speed of people coming in mm. yep uh, is there a simple way for you to break down for our listeners yeah because uh, me personally I am I'm curious about that
1: so you, you can you can imagine like if you're a 300 headcount company for example so at your at topmost, you can view it as a pyramid, right? So the higher the role or the higher the rank, the leaner the population is. And at the bottom, on your grassroots or your junior to midweight engineers, that would be the thickest band in your in your headcount. And then imagine you've put in massive numbers into that band, your pyramid will now become the shape of a Hershey Kisses. It's so fat at the bottom, and then you're just a very, very few leaders on top. So that can create some difficulty on managing because your span of control will be extremely large. What managers would use to coach a 20-man team would know how to coach 40 because there's insufficient number of leaders sitting on... You know, managerial positions to handle the coaches or the individual contributors on the ground. So as we put in more middle and junior weight folks in, or middleweight folks into the team, we had to start evaluating who would be the next persons in line to step up into a managerial position. Or if not a managerial position, like an expert on the field so that they could help buddy or mentor the newbies coming in just to make sure that the org structure doesn't collapse under the weight of so much new talents right so basically it was a i think it was a nine-month exercise where we hired that much people in a very short period of time well
0: there was uh seems like there's so much science there yeah they say that uh human resource is both science and art and uh, i think that's basically the science that which you have explained
1: it is science, art, and math. <laughs>
0: <laughs> a good addition. Yeah. I think a lot of uh, human resources think that there's no math in, uh, in our field, but there definitely is. A lot of math, actually, from the compensation analysis and uh, also the numbers, especially if you're churning out a lot of recruitment and then also the internal performance, everything. Yeah.
1: Definitely. So, so at that juncture in my life at Nokia, it was, I would say, the height of my career. Like, you know, you're you're, you're part of a global, you know, uh, household name company. Uh, You're exposed to a lot of brilliant people, a lot of really smart, really uh, intelligent, and really strategic, you know, peers that you really learn a lot from. So, I took that advantage because coming in despite having a really strong headhunting experience plus a really good successful lnd exposure i would say that when i went into into nokia those were you know those those achievers be, became really small because you know playing in a you know uh, working in a In a small company versus working with a 90,000 headcount company spanning across the globe. It's a very different application process altogether. So I basically became a sponge again in, in Nokia, just trying to absorb everything that I could, which I think is kudos to my boss at the time, who was quite generous in exposing me to different things, whether these things are the things that I'm going to deal with for the first time, or things that I might not be knowledgeable of. Like she was just, you know, pushing me and supporting me behind the scenes.
0: Oh. Having a mentor really helps.
1: Yeah. I mean, I encourage everybody who's listening, like, you know, um, and just to sidetrack a bit, like the importance of having a good mentor and a very supportive manager or, or a coach, like these are, you know, the secret ingredients to success. Because even if you pour in All your hours all your energy and you know all your experience and and education it will never be complete without a backup person supporting you and that would be typically your buddy in in the company that you're working with or your direct manager they spell the difference between success and thriving You know, thriving. So success are, I would say, short bursts of achievements, but like thriving is a more sustained, consistent level of achievement. Going back, uh, the dust settled. Uh, At the time, Nokia was already close to a thousand headcount. So the needs of the company has changed from attracting, it went to, I would say, it went to dealing with employee engagement you know uh, trying to also look at partnership with the academe you know looking at partnership with the industry uh, we looked at how to improve uh, people offerings or the people programs so that gave that shed some light on od on od work a little bit through that phase as well there was a direction from the company to Strengthen the values and culture of Nokia at that time. So, I was I, I tried to volunteer for that project. Uh, I work with regional peers in Southeast Asia, which again broaden my network. Also, that's a pro tip for people in the field, whatever field you are, not just in HR. Like building a network is extremely important if you want to expand your knowledge and your experience. No? Uh, I was able to work with these people. So eventually in my stay uh in, in Nokia for seven and a half years, I was able to walk through the entire HR spectrum. I wouldn't say I was able to spend equal amount of time across each of the phase, but at least I was able to go through all of them from cradle to grave, as, as what they say. Yeah. I was even part of some restructuring. Structural exercises, you know, like, the, you know, have, you, have, you have to let some people go. Of course, that's a very hard, uh, you know, activity to go through. Uh,
0: Can we expand on that? Like, I mean, definitely for our viewers, uh, I've had my fair share of uh, letting people go, whether it's uh, performance-based or retrenchment or just hmm. really different types of ways to let people go. And for me, I think it's a process on its own and you got to have a certain level of maturity. And maybe you can further expound that on how you can actually, or how the experience is for letting people go.
1: Sure. When I first had to do my, I would say my first involuntary termination, like it was, you know, due to performance. I mean, I, gave, I came into that room more nervous than the employee. <laughs> like when you go through the due process, right? You you go to you look at the notice to explain, you look at the explanation, you look at the notes that you got from the admin hearing. Like you're trying to build up a case. Not the mindset also was a struggle for me to wrap my head around because typically when you say an employee is going through the due process. For a ju- for a junior HR professional like myself, when I started, it felt like it was one way to manage someone out. But you know, fast forward to today, the due process is basically just that. It's a process. It's not the m- process of managing people out. It's a process of fact finding. You know, you try to gather data on what's going on in the in the current situation. So going back I was more nervous I was actually stuttering when I was like delivering the, the decision and my boss at that time was there you know just observing so that she could coach me right after so it was really a struggle uh, the employee that we were speaking to was initially very defensive uh, I didn't want to accept the decision but the decision was final so we said I had to let that person go uh, I learned a lot because definitely you know when you're when you're when you began your 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 HR career in recruitment, the effort in which to find that person, convince that person, then get that person in, and then you move into the middle of the life cycle, which is to maintain employees. Like you, you nurture them, you grow them, you you coach them, and then you're also the person to let them go. Like you know, it's 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 a it's a it's a tension of opposites right that you're the one who got them there and then you're also the one to let them go right so it was an ordeal that wasn't easy to swallow i would say but you know i learned that that is that is h r that is h r you you protect the company's interest by making sure that the people that don't contribute or don't, you know, lift their own weight to get the company goals across the line, have to be coached and if necessary, you know, have to be um, escorted out. You know? But at the same time, you know, I also learned that, you know, when when just just speaking about offboarding or you know letting people go, it's it's not just about protecting the company. Uh, I'd like to let you know the listeners know that it's also an act of fairness to the employee. Yeah, just to just to shed some insights here. Sometimes employees feel that the job isn't for them, right? Or sometimes they already know that they're struggling. It's it's difficult to get out of bed. They just drag themselves to work, but they can't resign because they have you know people to take care of, families to feed, right? Or they just couldn't summon the courage to write a resignation letter. So. Kickstarting that process through, you know, through uh, the due process, by the way, just to uh, give them that light at the end of the tunnel. That you know, it's not working out. The company knows it's not working out. You probably for yourself know it isn't working out. Um, so, what's the best course of action? And during that time. Uh, I had just one example here to share. Like during the middle of the due process, one of the person I was trying to, you know, gather information from said, you know, Vanson, this is this just isn't for me anymore. Like. Um, initially, I thought it was uh, because this person was used to be a high performer, right? So I was even the one trying to debunk. You were so good a couple of years back. Well, what you know, what happened? And apparently, the passion wasn't there anymore. Uh, life, life happened. There's many different things that that change in that person's environment that move that person to a different passion. And then we just spoke and just just have a candid conversation that led to that person resigning. No, there was no letter. No, it was just a verbal, you know, verbal um, affirmation that this isn't for me. And then he just sent that email saying that you know, um, you know, uh, I, I love my stay uh, in the company. I like the people that I work with, but it, I think it's about time for me to pursue something else. It was that very candid, you know. And then that person left, right. So it's also fair for the employee because. Uh, we are we are also not in the position to force them to keep doing something they don't like. It just needs you know that wake up moment and, and that, that pushes them into action. And then circling back to that story, that person is now doing a different thing. Has a, has a business, a very beautiful family, and it looks like the person has been you know really thriving. With his passion projects on the side, so it was a win-win. I guess at the end we had to go through that ordeal, but at the end it was a fairy tale ending for both. You know, so yeah.
0: Yeah. So with all of these experiences, how did you end up in your current job right now?
1: Yeah. So after that, I was also again very lucky where um, I actually uh, wasn't looking for a job at that time when I was with Nokia, uh, and then a friend of mine who works at Canva was trying to place for in HRBP position. And at that time, I functioned at the same capacity back in Nokia. So I said, you know, I, I don't know anyone in the local scene because I've been in Nokia for seven and a half years. And, and I said, hey, maybe, I a, if, maybe if I send you my resume, you can use it as a reference. Like, Look at all the keywords there and then you know, Google them up or her Boolean stretch the hell of it <laughs> in <laughs> LinkedIn. Uh, but apparently this friend of mine, circulated that resume into the hiring stakeholders at Canva, and I eventually got invited to an interview. I didn't know Canva then. I wasn't a user. I was a PowerPoint champion uh, at that time. I came in, didn't know about the company, just spoke to some of the folks inside Canva. I was given uh you know the proposition of what the role could be. And I said, Oh, it's promising. I did my research, you know, as HR, you know, we research companies like we're doing a thesis, right? <laughs> so I reached the company, knew it was a unicorn company based in Sydney, blah, blah, blah. And then I took a shot at the selection process because I was wondering, like, why does Canvas send the challenge like a take-home challenge to its, to its new to its candidates so it was a very new experience because i never had worked with a client back in the headhunting space of this particular process so i landed the job as an hrbp at canva i didn't come in as a country hr mm-hmm. so i came in with the same role i had back in nokia i was assigned with a different with a with one specialty at canva which is the customer service team i helped the leadership team create people programs which resulted to increase in performance increase in engagement increase in morale the leadership team also was able to benefit from a dedicated hr business partner sitting in the team to help improve people's coachability and improve the coaches ability right so it's two different things but from the same word, like coachability and coachability right so I would say a good series of success. And then eventually the company took a pivotal turn to really beef up its country leadership. So who used to be the people lead for Canva Manila was nominated to be the country manager. The position, the, the people lead was vacant and it couldn't remain vacant. So I was, the I would say, the most eligible person for the role. So I took the job on an interim capacity. But eventually, you know, they, they just said that, hey, you're already doing a good job there. Why not just keep and stay in the role? And then two years after, I am in the role uh, still, you know, leading the people team or what we call the team happiness team here at Canva. But at the same time, just fairly recently, early this year, January, I also took the role as the head of the People Shared Services team, which is basically an HR department or HR function that sits in Manila, but supports our Sydney, US, and Europe operations.
0: Well, congratulations. Thanks. Um, speaking, of, uh, speaking of being the head of uh, human resource, you basically rose up the ranks. And one of the things that professionals don't understand is from being an independent contributor into a leadership role, that transition is quite crucial. Not a lot of people actually make it to to become a manager or to be a leader. So how was that transition like from being an independent contributor into a leading role or a managing role? Can you cite specific examples or pivotal moments in your career where this is the make it work, break it moment for me?
1: Sure. So for context, Before Canva, I was always an individual contributor. Mm -hmm. I would lead some project teams, but never a solid line down to my direct reports. So even when I joined Canva as an HRBP, it was still an individual contributor capacity. I reported to the people lead. So when I moved to the people lead role on an interim arrangement, right at the get-go, the mindset truly has changed. The challenges that I face immediately change. Like the one-on-ones that I used to have before taking the role was about projects and problem solving, but the one-on-ones that came after after I took the role was career growth, development, motivation, people issues. Very different, like yin and yang, from day to night. You know, taking care of people versus solving problems are two very different muscles that you flex. And sometimes if you're in the individual contributor role for a long time, like myself, the muscle on developing people and coaching people is, I would say, a muscle that you didn't know exists. And then suddenly, you're forced to flex it. And then that, that's where you'll, you're, start to diag- you're, you're, you're able to start to diagnose that that muscle is weak. All right? So you're able to strike conversations, but you're not able to build connection you're you're trying your best to improve your relations but your neighbor you're never able to build relationships so those were the challenges right at the start that i faced so but of course since i got the role i had to be successful right so i had to first be aware that these are my blind spots and weaknesses so i immediately enrolled myself on several programs offered internally by canva i also selected uh, a couple of mentors or buddies to help me improve my coaching and at the same time i took it outside you know i, I enrolled on on certification programs uh, i i connected with some people i know in linkedin you know you and i both uh, know penny our old professor of course yeah so i also Reach out to her, uh, you know, just helping me get through this new chapter you know of my career, so just to answer your question very quickly, people who think you can't get there as i think a glass ceiling people put on themselves, you know definitely you can punch through that number for for many different in in many different ways, right either you're presented that role by chance, like what happened to me, number two, you can take an active role by. You know, applying internally within your company or externally through to a managerial position, you no, know? or three, um, you might not, you might not see yourself going into that route formally immediately. But you can start volunteering to lead some projects you know, or leading some micro teams. And really just to see if that is for you. Because definitely coaching or managing people per se, I don't think it is for everyone. It, it requires a certain kind of wiring <laughs> to to be successful in these kinds of jobs, mm. yeah. and I'm still getting myself rewired now. <laughs> to be honest, it's
0: ah uh, that's uh, that's great. In fact, uh, what I find uh, that's really good is that the con- the the drive for self improvement, being self propelled to learn more, because uh, I'm also a believer that if the moment you stop learning, you become obsolete. So another question that I have here. With your, with your a decades worth of experience, what are the misconceptions or the common misconceptions about human resource? I, I'm sure you have, uh, you have had your fair share of uh, things to share about the common misconception about the role. <laughs>
1: Definitely, when you hear the word HR, it's synonymous to hearing the word, like the disciplinary office back in school. <laughs> if you're stuck in a room with HR, it, it's, it subtly sends a message that that person is in trouble. Right? <laughs> so that is, a, that is the most common, but I guess it's a myth that we need to start busting you know because definitely hr especially in the at least in the last few decades really shifted its role inside organizations um before we used to be called personnel management or or, or personnel i would say uh Officers, like we just make sure that the workforce is, you know, working properly and, and the machine is humming, you know, that, that was basically what our job was. But, you know, at least in my own experience, in, the, in that small decade uh, that that I've been in this field, definitely the value proposition of HR is more than just keeping the engine running, even from um, The way we take care of employees have drastically changed at least over in the last 10 years, from 2010 to 2020, I would say. And we capped off 2020 in a big way through the pandemic. Right? So it really has thrown textbook concepts of HR out the window. Um, so I would say that um, apart from us being the bad cops, we are actually employee champions. Uh, Behind the scene, people just don't see it because you know our our reputation precedes us most of the time. But we are actually the people that make sure that the employees come to work, engage, energize, and driven to do their best work, right? And there's just so much ingredients that go into this program of empowering people, training and nourishing people, uh, developing people. At the same time, taking care of them, not just professionally, but personally as well, takes a lot of deliberate effort and energy from the human resources team. So I would say that the next time that, for example, you get to interface with HR, try to look at it from a different perspective. Because what you enjoy about work, what you enjoy about the company, definitely HR had a contribution in making that thing happen. So.
0: Oh, wow. Thanks for that. Um, Another thing is, uh, I think it's very important for us to, for the listeners to know, what are the things that they don't see? You mentioned earlier that HR works behind the scenes. And actually, a lot of jobs have the behind the scenes moments. And we want to shed light on these moments. And so that our listeners can realize, or what should they see? What others don't see? Or what should they see if they're going to venture into human resource?
1: Hmm. What people see is that HR calls the shots. uh, Because we are the ones who send out announcements, messages, we launch programs, we write new policies, it's like we're on the driver's seat. That's what they see. But what they don't see is actually we don't make all the decisions. We are consultants of the business, we consult problems. Right. So the business wants to do something. If that something has an impact on employees or to the employment conditions, that is where we come in. We give advice to make sure we are compliant. We give advice to make sure it is fair for both sides, fair for the employees, but also fair for the employer. Right. We make sure we, it is legal, you know, just to make sure whatever programs or whatever policies or changes in comp and ben, for example, when it rolls out, it does not go against any labor laws. At the same time, we also give them foresight, we give the business foresight on how a particular program can change the way the business operates beyond one year's time. Right? So we take a look at uh, how we compete in the talent market, how we compete on retention, how do we make sure that people don't fish our people, Uh, we also look at how we can better retain and engage our employees. And these are the things that don't people don't see. These are the discussions that are locked up in a room, right? And then people don't get the RSVP to join. So that's what they don't see. And sometimes, you know, another thing and a byproduct of that, that people also don't see, sometimes HR is, you know, stuck in the middle. Like you want to do something, but it takes away... From the other, and vice versa. So, you also have to make uh, really solid, well grounded analyses for every business decision that senior leaders take. Because any decision made from the top, just like a waterfall, cascades down to to the employees. We make sure that we're already there at the bottom, looking looking up. How will this fall down to, to employees, and how does this impact? Because, you know. Unlike unlike if if I compare HR programs to product, to how products develop, when you roll out new features, right, and if it doesn't work, you just roll back. You just restore factory setting, and you go back to, to its stable state. In people, you can't do that. When you roll out new programs, and it brushes people the wrong way, you can't tell people, hey, can you forget that that happened, and just go back to how you used to feel prior to that program? You can't do that. That's why, it's, that's why it's super important to be really careful and keep both employees and employers' perspectives at par whenever decisions are about to be made. And that's what people don't see. No? Sometimes when we roll out new programs, they feel pro-employer. So pro-employer, like they didn't, they didn't listen to us. That's not true. It just so happens that maybe at that time, at that situation, it made more sense to side with the employer. But in more other, in, in other cases, the situation could flip and it would be pro-employees. It's a more of a give and take. You know? And that's what I love about the, about the job. You're in the middle of this uh, negotiation, bartering. You're in the middle of this uh, strategic planning, which I think is what lured me you know, into human resources and you know, stay in this profession for 10 years.
0: Thanks for that, uh, Vance. And since you mentioned that uh, this is what you love, I want to ask this question: What does it take? What does it uh, what it takes for for one to be a human resource head or to be a human resource professional?
1: Uh, if I were to make it simple right, for, for the listeners, both for people who are about to graduate or for people who are shifting or people who are already in the industry, but wanted to see if this is really for them. I would see that for someone to be successful and thrive in an HR space, they would need to have, I think, four key things or four key skills, I would say, or four key categories. Number one is, if you have a high attention to detail, particularly people details. you, know, you look at it you know, how they feel, how they work, how they act, how they speak, you know, the the human element of businesses or organization, then that is one of four things that would probably tell you HR is for you. Because if you have this people watching or people uh people senses like akin to like Spider-Man rights, so, but like, my spider-sense are tingling. Like if you have that people sense is tingling uh, moment and you, you really look at people, how people operate, it means that you are uh, you are across and you are able to empathize on how people feel. And if you are able to do that, then your decisions will take these into strong consideration. With detail, you also have to analyze. So I think analytical skills is one of the key things that really help you thrive in this industry. But analyzing mathematical numbers and analyzing people are two very different disciplines. When you're able to analyze your data and analyze how it impacts the people that you're going to influence through your programs and policies, it's going to give you some sense of like foresight on how these things impact organizations moving forward. You also look at you know the cost benefit of rolling things out. And if you enjoy doing that science you mentioned about HR being art and science, so if you and math by the way, so if you enjoy you know that you know brainstorming problem solving, uh, you love you you love being in HR. And speaking of problem solving, that is the third skill I would say that HR. Professionals have is problem solving. No. and take note: you don't solve people; you solve problems, right? So, when there's a problem, you don't attack the person; you attack the problem. And if you have that uh, way of thinking, or if, if you're wired like that, you're able to look at problems and do deep dives. You're able; you enjoy doing root cause analysis. You enjoy looking at. Human behavior and how it translates to, let's say, productivity or effectiveness or efficiency. If you like correlating and you're, you're, you like to deduce insights from the different moving pieces or moving parts and come up with recommendations to really move the needle or turn the dial, then you'll love also being in HR because there's so much dials and needles to move. It's like you're in the cockpit of an airplane. Like there's just so many instruments in front of you. So imagine if you're part of a huge company, you magnify those dials and, and, and needles based on the number of people that you touch or influence in your organization. And then the last is customer service, I would say, right? Your customers are your internal stakeholders, your employees, your, your managers, your, your senior leads, even your partners externally, the, the industry partners or the academe partners that you have, for example. If you have a heightened or elevated sense of customer service, you always think in other people's shoes. You think of their perspective, you think about their feelings, you think about their perspectives. right? Um, and if you have that second pair of eyes, you know, looking outside in, and then you combine it with your vision of inside out, then that's going to help you formulate really holistic people programs that would really benefit not just the employer, but also the employees. Right? So if you, have, if you roll these four skills out, I would say that that is a good, uh, I would say, recipe or formula. For an HR professional, regardless where you are in the ranks, no, whether you are a fresh grad, or a junior, midweight, or even a senior, or even an executive.
0: All right, that's great. Actually, I I got my quotable quote from you. So uh, you don't solve people, you solve problems. So we're gonna use that for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but to summarize, uh, uh, that's uh, those are actually great advices. Like uh, the four. Uh, four things uh what it takes for be an h r is basically detail oriented analytical problem solver and customer service so these are the things uh in your opinion and which I also believe in that an h r should have for them to or what it takes to be an h r now uh I just want to close this segment uh, or close this podcast with this one who is uh, we know what it takes to for the job, but who is it for? Who is the job for in terms of your personality? who is human resource for?
1: It's for someone who likes or has a passion for people's growth, I would say because you know you're an entrepreneur Pat, mm-hmm. right so uh, I- I'll try to anchor this with you as well so you're part of this conversation <laughs> <laughs> so so when, when people start companies, right? there's always uh, an entrepreneurial objective in mind, whether it is to offer a service that doesn't exist or try to compete on certain markets that you feel are not yet fully tapped. Uh, or you, let's say, want to, of course, practicality-wise, you want to earn revenue or profit from this endeavor. Even before we talk about these things, behind the scenes are the people that make it happen. Right? Right. So given that all businesses have people at, at, you know, in, in the machine room making these uh, entrepreneurial endeavors uh, succeed, um, if you're the person that wants to be on that side of business, looking at how to orchestrate people, No, use their strengths as levers. No, and you are like the fulcrum. If I could illustrate, like you are the fulcrum and then your, your processes and programs are the levers. So as you move the fulcrum, you know, left and right from the lever's base, you basically manipulate the amount of strength you need to pull the lever down to move the heavy object up. Right. So like that is how I would describe it. If you enjoy being that fulcrum, identifying where to put your HR programs in organizations to help it thrive and, you know, magnify its impact to achieve business goals, then you'll love it. You'll love uh, working in HR. In my personal experience, I mean, not to generalize the experience of all HR professionals in the field. We are always seen as cost centers. Like we are, we love spending money. We don't earn money. (laughs) So, like the marketing team earns money, the sales team earns money, the IT team earns money through the projects that they or through the products or features they launch. HR seldom. I mean, I've never been in a, a company where HR earns money. We can save money, but not earn money. But in reality, it is through our Endeavors that the company earns. If we don't hire the right people, then the people can't, you know, do the features or do the products or sell. If we don't train the people, then we don't evolve as an organization. We get stuck. In your words, we get obsolete. If we don't keep the people, then our cost of training, cost of development just keeps rising because whatever you give them, they take it with them when they leave right we also reward and recognize people through compensation or incentives to drive a high performance culture and speaking of culture we also help build and strengthen org culture to create cohesiveness unity and collaboration to make it an environment people that feel they could you know do the best works of their lives so these are the things that are you know running you know, behind the scene that if you enjoy working in these spaces and really have a close, deep rooted relationship with employees and have this bond with senior stakeholders because they see you as a trusted advisor, you will love working in HR. Caveat, though, just wanted to not, not say this, right? HR is also not for everybody. Right? In the famous words of Siegfried Havelosa, <laughs> our professor, like HR is a thankless job. Most of the time. Most of the time it is a thankless job. However, however the thanks you get, in, at least in my own experience, are not in the words of thank you or we appreciate you. No. The thanks that come my way typically come from people's. Whose lives have changed. Like you hired someone, for example, and you were able to give that person a living wage to get themselves out of poverty, for example. That, that one example is worth hundreds of nominal thank yous, right? Someone that you nurtured and grew and helped and, and grow and helped that person reach a particular position in the company they aspired for. That is another example of a huge appreciation from employees to you, even if it is not said, but when you see it, that's how it feels. So if you find energy or if you find uh, joy and happiness, seeing these things come to life, then you'll love it here in HR. All
0: right. Thank you so much for that. And a quick shout out to our professor, uh, Prof. Siegfried Havilosa. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's, uh, it's been good to know more about your journey. I'm actually quite curious because I all, I've known your career, uh, particularly in Nokia and I was, uh, actually, I was happy when I found out that you were in Canva because I'm a big fan and I, I was so sure that Canva is in good hands because of you, not, and of course, because we were trained by, uh, by our professors I'm sure and, uh, that's basically it, and thank you so much for your time, Alvanson. And definitely, our goal here is to help help those who are still in high school, maybe thinking of a course that they would take in college, even if it's a different course that you took. Remember, Alvanson took computer science, but it all played out to his advantage in the future. Or whether you're still you're still in a job and thinking about shifting, or uh, or even in your midlife. So this is something that you might want to think about, the position of human resource. Job Defined is brought to you by Podcast Network Asia. Check out all the shows in the network by visiting their socials at Podcast Network Asia or visiting their website at podcastnetwork.asia.